What's up, y'all? Welcome back into the Lacrosse Bucket Podcast. Tanner Demling here with y'all, as always. And um, this is not a happy opening. Normally, if, if you've listened to this podcast enough, you know I usually come in here. You know, welcome back to the Lacrosse Bucket Podcast. Had a lot of exciting action over the weekend, blah, 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 blah. And we did have a lot of exciting action over the weekend. And we're going to get to that. Sunday's games. We already recapped Saturdays on Sunday's podcast. So we'll get to Sunday's games here today. As well as preview some of the games coming up this midweek slate. Um, and then Thursday, as usual, we'll do a full uh, weekend preview. But, you know, and, and, and if you've listened to this podcast long enough, you know, this is a lacrosse podcast. But there are times when we have to skew away from lacrosse. Um, and today's the day that we're going to have to skew away from lacrosse for about five to ten minutes of this show. And that is because of an incident that happened in Sewanee, Tennessee, over the weekend. Um, Emmanuel, uh, out of Franklin Springs, Georgia, the D2 team, they went up to Sewanee to play. Sewanee, the University of the South. And, you know, the, the game, uh, Sewanee won. It was the first win under head coach uh, Nick. What's his name? Uh, Nick D. Bernardo. So first win under head coach Nick B. Bernardo, uh, who I believe he had his interim tag removed like over the summer or something like that. Um, so first win under a new head coach, and it was the first time that they had fans at Hardy McGee Field um, at Harris Stadium this lacrosse season. Um, and if you don't know, Sewanee used to be an SEC team. Uh, they were a founding member of the SEC, and um, they the stadium they play at, uh, they play lacrosse at now as well, is the oldest stadium still in use in the South um, to this day. I uh, believe it dates back to 1891. Um, I could be wrong on that, but uh, it, it dates back pretty far as the oldest stadium still in use uh, below the Mason-Dixon. The positives aside, um, you know, the win for Sewanee, the fact that they could have fans back, uh, which was 120 students, any positives from that game were overshadowed pretty quickly um, because of the despicable actions of some, not all, some of the 120 Sewanee students in attendance. I'm going to read you the email that Sewanee, a, a portion of the email that Sewanee Vice Chancellor and President Ruben E. Bridgerty, uh, 
the second uh, sent to the campus community, to the Sewanee campus community um, on Sunday. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to read a good a good portion of it. So all of this is from that letter, that email. Dear Sewanee family, it is with regret that I must share with you the details of an inexcusable incident that occurred yesterday. The steps we are taking to help prevent this from happening again and the request we are making for your assistance in identifying those responsible. Yesterday, Saturday, March 13th, we were pleased to host the men's lacrosse team of Emmanuel College for a match. Because of pandemic protocols, the only people allowed to attend were student-athletes, coaches, game management staff, and students. Approximately 120 students attended. To our great dismay, a few of the Sewanee students hurled the most vile racial epithets to include the N-word and other appalling epithets directed at people of color towards members of the visiting Emmanuel team, whose roster includes white, African-American, Asian-American, Native American, and Latino men. So pronounced were the shouted slurs in the third quarter that the game officials on on the field ordered that Sewanee fans be cleared before play could continue. Though I was not present at the match, shortly after its conclusion, Athletic Director Mark Webb informed me of what had transpired. Upon hearing the disturbing news, I went to the lacrosse field with the visiting team. As Vice Chancellor, on behalf of the entire Suwannee community, I personally apologized to our guests for the conduct of these students. I told them that Suwannee does not tolerate such behavior and that we considered the assaults on their dignity dignity completely unacceptable. Likewise, our athletic director and coaches apologized to their colleagues from Emmanuel, and A.D. Webb has informed the conference of this incident. We are also taking the following actions. And here's the actions that they are taking. Um, says the athletic director um, has initiated a comprehensive review of what happened to identify the steps Sewanee Athletics can take uh, in changing its in-game its game protocols to prevent such events in the future. Um, this includes repositioning Sewanee staff and security so they can stay attuned to fan behavior more fully than they were uh, during the game and are empowered to act to stop such behavior that should be necessary. Um, and then secondly, uh, the athletic director will be meeting with student and student-athlete groups, including the Student Athlete, Advisor, athlete Advisory Committee, to reassert the values of the university 
and convey the university's unequivocal commitment to treating everyone, including athletics competitors, respectfully. So that's a bit of the uh, the email that then goes on to say that they are going to, uh, they are in the process of uh, identifying those responsible and uh, ask that anyone who knows, anyone who shouted those things to please uh, send to an email address um, reporting the incidents they know who uh, was who the perpetrators were um this is uh this is upsetting um very much so um and this is you know it it, it really came out today and uh, you know I saw it on Sunday didn't really understand exactly what had happened because uh, we hadn't seen the email yet and then uh, saw the email today, uh, this morning on Monday, and uh, then uh, Sewanee Athletics has also uh, put out a statement on the athletics website. Uh, there's something on those social media as well from the AD. Um, this is disheartening. This is disgusting. This is uh, this is sad. Um, you know, uh, you know, it doesn't in. It involves lacrosse in in a way of you know, lacrosse players were the ones who were victims of this. Um, it doesn't sound like anyone from the Sewanee lacrosse team, um, you know, did anything wrong. But certainly, um, the students who were in attendance on Saturday certainly did something wrong. Certainly, uh, did something. <clears throat> disgusting, and, and we've seen a lot of outpour of support for Emmanuel, um, their coaching staff, their players um, after this event. Um, and it is a lot, a lot of certainly going on right now. A lot of conversation on social media, and um, obviously, you know the. Known commodities have been speaking out, Kyle Harrison, Jules Hindenburg. But we also have, it's widespread, just as it's, uh, as we saw this summer when, you know, widespread, um, you know, we need to do better in lacrosse, um, you know, we should be farther along than this, blah, 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 blah. Um, just like we saw with Marquette, you know, just a few weeks ago, just like we saw with Amherst last spring. Um, a lot of outspoken folks on this. Um, I, you know, it, 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 go check out Andy Towers on Twitter. Um, he probably had the best take on it, um, the most like hardcore take on it that I've seen. Um, it's pretty, you know, pretty good one, I'd say. Um, there from Coach Towers. Um, so if if you if you want to check out a pretty hardcore take on it, um, I don't. That's probably not the right word, but go check out Andy Towers' uh, Twitter account. He he had a good take. There's Kyle Harrison has spoken up about it. Um, as I mentioned, uh, Romar Dennis, a bunch of other guys um, across the board. Um, very very sad situation. Um, certainly, you know, not acceptable. Certainly. Uh, disgusting, despicable, um, 
some you no know, punchable you know offense um meaning like if someone said that right for me right now I'd probably break the neck um yeah so not a not a good look for Sawani um it's in ESPN now um as well as uh, a local so Swanee's it's like near Chattanooga you go through it or you pass it um if you've ever driven to Atlanta through Chattanooga um you've seen the exit sign for Sawani the University of the South um on the highway there so um I know it, exactly where this is um certainly not not a good look for them um no, I have seen ESPN. They did mention um, in the article that the school had historically has some not so good incidents in the past, or not so good bits to the history um, with you know, ties to the Confederacy, Jim Crow. Um and uh, you know a, a multitude of you know on campus uh, racial incidents. Um, there's an article that I linked to um, on what cost bucket to uh, Sawani student wrote a uh, on the Sawani purple. The student newspaper had written something about it, um, so I linked that there as well. Um, overall, not a good luck, obviously. You no know, feel for the Emmanuel players. Uh, stand with the Emmanuel players who were, uh, you know, subject of that hatred. Um, and uh, we we need to do better, obviously, um, across the board, uh, across the nation, across the world. Um, just need to do better. Just treat, you no. Know, was it the golden rule? Treat others as you would want to be treated. Just... Remember that in everything that you do. Moving on from uh, that heavy topic, let's let's get into some lacrosse, some actual lacrosse that happened this weekend. So, as I mentioned, um, we pre well, we recapped the Saturday action on Sunday's podcast today. We're going over Sunday's action. Excuse me. Um, and we're going to start with UMass. UMass, they returned to action on Sunday um, against Fairfield, getting a 13-9 win there um, in a CAA contest. Uh, UMass had their first, what was it, five? Four. First four games postponed. Um, and then obviously taking the field on Sunday. First time in 369 days that they took the field. Um, this is an impressive performance from UMass. I thought they looked really good. Obviously, still some areas to tune up. Um, just their first game of the season. Um, offensively, you know, Chris Conley had a hat trick. Gabriel Prosak um, and Billy Philpot each had two goals and one assist. Um, and then freshman Dylan Arendt, um, I thought he played really well. Uh, he impressed a lot of people in this game. Two goals for him in his college debut. Um, 
he, he's going to be a special player there uh, with the Minutemen if he keeps on this. Uh, he keeps trending in this direction. Um, Aaron played fantastic in the game. Uh, really stuck out probably more than anyone. Um, obviously, Chris Conley, you know, doing his thing as usual. Um, and this is a very deep UMass team. This is a talented UMass team. Um, and so, you know, any given day, you could have someone else step up and and, and have a day. So, um, you know, Conley, Prosec, and Arendt were kind of th- the three guys that stepped up the most uh, offensively. You look at the defensive end of the field, and Matt Note, you know, picked up right where he left off during his freshman campaign a season ago. Ten saves, fifty-two percent save percentage. Um, you know, however, you know, he he played good. I thought he the first like five minutes of the game, I thought he looked. I don't want to say he looked bad, but he, you know, you could see there was still some rust there. As the game went off, went on, shook that off, um, and he got in the groove of things, just as this UMass team did. I mean, they were down 3-1 early. Um, I guess it was 3-1 late in the first before Chris Conley, you know, basically weaves through the entire Fairfield defense to find some open turf and and, and, and rip one in uh, to make it a 3-2 game heading into the second. Um, there and then... UMass kind of goes on. They go on a 5-1 run um, through the, uh, you know, from that goal through the 3-12 mark in the second 5-1 run. Um, it helped them take a 6-4 lead. Um, and then Fairfield was able to knock things up at 6, but UMass was able to pull away there in the second half. 13-9 to uh, consistently had an answer for anything Fairfield threw at them, um, and, and, you know, Note was a big part of that. The UMass defense as a whole was a big part of that. Uh, 11 caused turnovers in this game. Uh, very, very impressive, uh, you know, team defensive performance there. Um, eight of those 11 caused turnovers came in the second half alone, uh, really in the third. Like, the snow, it was snowing, and the snow starts coming down in the third. And the goals just keep coming. So it's snowing, snow. Well, it's snowing, snow. The snow's coming down, and the goals are coming down um, for the Minutemen there in the second. They looked good on all fronts. Um, there, Zach uh, Hochman uh, took the overwhelming majority of the faceoffs. Now, I think he only didn't take one or two. Uh, he went 12 for 21, 57%. Uh, played a heck of a game there at the faceoff dot. Really got UMass a lot of those extra possessions that helped them pull away in the second half. When you look on the Fairfield side, um, Dylan Beckwith led the way offensively. Three points, two goals, one assist. He continues to play well. Colin Consoli had 12 saves, thought he played well. Really a good goalie duel in this game. Um, Jake Tyman, you know, had a solid game defensively for Fairfield. Probably he was the best defenseman, uh, the one who stood out the most outside of Consoli on defense um, with seven ground balls and four caused turnovers there. You know, 
the the big thing that hindered Fairfield was the amount of turnovers. And I mentioned 11 for uh, caused, but they had a total of 20. So, you know, you had a total of 20, 11 are caused, and so was that, I believe, nine uncaused um, turnovers there? Yeah, nine uncaused turnovers. Many uh, coming in the second half in that third. I think they had seven in the third alone. Um, so really, turnovers just killed this Fairfield team. Um, they were able, like, they never, like, 100% went away, but they were always... They were always like in the background, just lurking um, in the second half. Once Fe- once UMass went on that run, you could kind of tell this is UMass's game to lose. Fairfield certainly did not give up um, a, a pretty decent outing that outing there for the Stags uh, in their what was this the fifth game of the season? Uh, so. You know, good luck and win there for UMass. Complete game uh, to secure the win. Another complete game where we saw the uh, defeated team never go away, even more so than Fairfield, was uh, Michigan. Ohio State took down Mich- took down rival Michigan 12-10 to at home. That's the first of two meetings between these two arch-rivals this season. Ohio State looked freaking good. Um, you know, Jack Myers with a hat trick. Trey McCoyer, two goals and two assists. Alec Van D. Bevogenkamp with nine saves. And Cage thought he played very, very well in his first start for the Buckeyes. For Michigan, it Michael Boehm with three goals. Uh, Josh Zawada had a hat trick. Um he had two goals in the first in the first half, and then Ohio State kind of suppressed him. They put Eric Wins on him for the majority of the game, and I thought Wins played him well. He only had one goal in the second half, um, and uh, don't think he had. Oh, he he had. Um, yeah, did not have an assist, but he did have three goals, um, two of which came in the first half. There, uh, John uh, Kirkov. In cage, I thought he played very, very well. Uh, Kirikoff, I mean, uh, in cage, played very, very well for Michigan. Uh, you know, the Ohio State offense peppered him all day long, but he ends up with 11 saves, 45% save percentage. Um, his defense, uh, he was left to bail out his defense quite a bit. Um, and I uh, you know, thought he did a, a, a good jo- good job there. Uh, got a lot of praise on the broadcast. Uh, Ryan Terrafinka was out for this game for Ohio State, so I uh, did not see him. Um, and w- when you look at the stats in this game, it's it's neck and neck. Um, Michigan held a 34-29 advantage in the ground ball battle. Nick Vallette went 50% against Justin Anasio. However, however, Ohio State, 90% late clearing the ball. Michigan, 79% in the clearing game. 18 turnovers for the Wolverines. As much as Michigan 
was nipping at the heels of the Buckeyes all game long. You know, they got down 5 1 early, were able to come back and, you know, made it a one goal game at the half, six to five. Um, the turnovers, the unforced errors, and the clear, the they didn't ride very well either. Um, you know, they in the middle of the field, in between the boxes, they did not play well. They did not. Um, outside of the faceoff dot, anywhere in between the boxes, did not play well. And that was the death of this team on Sunday against the arch rival. Too many turnovers. 79% in the clear. This day and age, you've got to go 85% or over. You rarely see, especially when your opponent's going 90. You got to be better than that. Got to be much better than that. Um, however, you know, you know, Michigan showed a lot. Showed a lot. Um, showed a lot. And just as, you know, Ohio State was going to pull away, they answered. They continued doing that all game long. Um, you know, as I think I tweeted after the game, you know, the current or the present may not be good in Ann Arbor, but the future is certainly bright or could be bright. Um, Zawada, fantastic player. Um, he's a baller. Freshman. Kyle Stevenson. He's a freshman. Excuse me, Zawada's a sophomore. Stevenson, he's a freshman. You got Ryan Darby um, as a... She's a sophomore. Oh, no, excuse me, Schreiber. You got Ryan Schreiber as a uh, sophomore, as one of the top defensemen. A lot of young talent. A lot of young talent on this team. A lot of young talent, and uh, you know they're certainly going to put the pieces together sooner or later, because this is a team that certainly has the ability, has the talent to run with some of the best in the Big Ten, but the just mental errors that they had in this game uh, certainly you know tells the story of why they ended up losing this one. Um, and, again, credit to Michigan, but also credit to Ohio State. They did what they need, needed to do um, in this contest. Trey McCoy, uh, you know, you know, tied Logan Schuss's school record for career goals. He'll pass that next game, likely. Um, so, you know, he had a good game. Um as well as really the entire Ohio State. And Ohio State's defense, um, outside of wins, it's not... I'm not that impressed by it. I know uh, coming in the season, I had said, you know, on paper, talent-wise, you look at Ohio State, and you've got to think they are one of the better defenses in the Big Ten. But I, I honestly would put them probably third right now behind Michigan, oh, me, behind Rutgers. Um, Johns Hopkins, you know, 
we need to see more out of them. Um, I, you know what? I might tie you know, tie between Hopkins and, and Ohio State. Um, but Bovenkamp played well, uh, looked good. I know they've had uh, Waldo in there. Um, uh, Waldo, uh, I believe how you, uh, how you pronounce it, in cage there. And then they've had a slew of guys kind of step up at that short stick defensive midfield spot. Um, DeBailey, uh, in the absence of Terrafinko, uh, DeBailey played well. Um, the, the other day, um, with Terrafinko out, he's played well throughout the season, but Ohio State, you know, got to clean some things up on, on, on the defensive end, and really Michigan, um, got to clean some things up really, um, well, everywhere. Um, if, if they want to be able to compete in these kinds of games. Uh, so good one there in Columbus. Some other games here on Sunday, we had Duke blowing out Jacksonville 17-6. to Michael Sowers, six assists, one goal. Brennan O'Neill cashed in five goals, including a uh, highlight reel behind the back one. Uh, Jake Nasso. Went 15 for 19 at the faceoff dot. Dominated there. 10 ground balls from him also. Uh, for the Dolphins, you had Curtis Goodard uh, led the Dolphins with two goals. Jason uh, Yoquinto with 16 saves, getting the start there in cage. Some other games here. Uh, Lehigh took down Bucknell 18 to 6. Mike Sisselberger continued his run. At the faceoff dot, 16 of 23, 70% for the Mountain Hawks in the win. You also had Stony Brook taking down NJIT, 13 to 4. Corey Van Jehoven, 5 points in the win. Patrick Daly, Keegan Kahn go off in Villanova's 20 to 8 victory over St. John's. Combined for uh, I believe 15 points it was, uh, 14 points it was, in the victory there for the Wildcats. Looking ahead to this midweek slate, pull this up here real quick. On starting on Tuesday. We have a pretty big one. Uh, I would argue one of the biggest games of the week. Um, uh, well, the biggest game of the week, certainly. One of the biggest games of the year um, between in, in the Big East between Denver and Georgetown. This game was supposed to be played over the weekend. However, however, Snowstorm hits Denver. And uh, if you ain't seen the pictures, it's... I know seen that much snow in my life, um, to be honest with y'all. It, it's a lot of snow, man. They, they got a lot of snow out there. Um, you know, I, they will probably be using the orange balls, I would expect, um, on Tuesday. Uh, but Denver, Georgetown... Um, you know, we previewed it a bit on Thursday's podcast 
when we thought it was going to be on Saturday, but obviously the two top teams in the Big East, you have this Georgetown defense as well as the offense uh, with Jake Carraway, you know, going up against this Denver team that has progressed all season long uh, with Jackson Morrill, Ethan Walker, that really good offense there. Um, Alex Stathakis at the faceoff dot. And I mentioned that because we're not going to have T.D. Irwin. T.D. Irwin, I can confirm T.D. Irwin is in Denver. I can confirm that. Um, he is in Denver. He will be suiting up on Saturday. He's not suiting up on Tuesday. He will be eligible to play on Saturday against Villanova. Uh, so T.D. Irwin will be in a Denver uniform, not on Tuesday, on Saturday. So no T.D. Irwin in this game, but he is in Denver. He is there. Um, and he will be playing on Saturday. We'll talk more about that later in the week. On Wednesday, we get a Notre Dame, you know, Midwest because Midwest Catholic School meetup uh, matchup between Notre Dame and Marquette. Uh, the Irish and the Golden Eagles, they've met. Let's pull up this. Uh, so this is one of Marquette's only, no, I think it's the only non-con game of the season. Yeah, because they had uh, Cleveland State scrubbed. Due to COVID uh, test, um, this is the this will be the ninth matchup between the two. Um, the closest Marquette has come, if you will remember, in 2016, it was an eight to seven Notre Dame win in overtime. The very next year, 2017, it was eleven to ten, and then they met in the NCAA tournament. Later on that year, it was a 15-9 to victory for the Irish. They It was a one-goal game in 2018 as well. And then in 2019, it was a 13-6 to victory for Notre Dame. So Marquette has yet to beaten the Irish. Um, however, it's been a close game. Multiple times, it's been a super tight game multiple times, and certainly uh, we could see it go either way. Um, you look at Notre Dame, they're obviously a very dang good lacrosse team. Um, they have talent all over the place, and I you know. I want to say like this is one that could be close. When you like looking at it on paper, I want to say like okay, this this could be close. I honestly don't feel like that. I feel like because of the history, we could see a close contest, but if you're just taking it pure talent versus pure talent, um Notre Dame is head and shoulders above Marquette. Marquette, they ain't won a game all season. Um, the O and four, and coming off a loss against Providence over the weekend, um, close one there, twelve to eight. 
They lost to Villanova 16 to 14. It you know, if you are a Marquette fan coming into this game, I think it does. The fact that they played Denver so close, 10 to 9 loss, you know, that does if I'm a Marquette fan, that does give me some hope that okay, we can play against the big dogs. Um, they put up 13 on Georgetown, uh, the most they've given up all season. Um, we'll, we'll see what Denver does on Georgetown, but um, I think they can do more than 13, but uh, certainly a good defense there from the Hoyas, one of the best in the country. Um, I think they're currently ranked number one still, um, with you know, 13 being the most goals they've given up all season. Um, so, you know, Marquette, the fact that they've played decently against some of these bigger name teams, I think gives me some hope it can be a good game. But I think also, you know, Notre Dame being kind of in the groove now, um, a few games in, we saw what they did against Bellarmine. We saw what they did against Robert Morris. Um, you know, and the Bellarmine game was close. And I, I, you know, Notre Dame took some bad shots. They they made some mistakes, um, early season mistakes, if you want to call it that, that kind of hindered them in that game. Um, and Bellarmine took advantage of that. You know, I think that's the blueprint. Obviously, Marquette, uh, I'm assuming, has watched that film and said, "Okay, we need to do this to neutralize this offense, neutralize this team." Um, but you know, when you have Kyle Gallagher at the faceoff dot, when you have a guy like Pat Cavanaugh, um, just an elite passer back there at attack, um, when you have Intamin and Cage and, 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 and all the defensive talent that surrounds him, um, I just think this, this Notre Dame team is, is good. They're a ACC contender, obviously a national contender, obviously, um, it's going to be tough for Marquette to climb up that mountain, but if they do it, they do it. Um, I, I would certainly go into this one expecting a close game, but also knowing in the back of my mind, this Notre Dame team is probably 10, 15 goals better than Marquette. Also on Tuesday, Fairfield and Sacred Heart. Fairfield obviously coming off of that loss against UMass. Well, Sacred Heart is coming off of a loss as well against St. Joseph's. They're on a three-game losing streak. Lost the Holy Cross, LIU, and St. Joseph's. Uh, they got Fairfield before they go uh, back into conference play. Uh, they've played Stony Brook, Hofstra, Holy Cross, and now Fairfield as non-con games. They've played LIU twice. They've played St. Joseph's in conference play. The first LIU game did not count as a conference game, though, however, um, when they won 12-10, to their only win of the season. Sacred Heart has shown some some promise this year. Uh, there's some areas they need to clean up, uh, like really, really badly need to clean up. Um no, defensively, they're a little lax. Sometimes have some lapses uh, from the games I've seen. Fairfield, you know, we just mentioned the turnovers. Like, that's killed them this season. Um, thus far, that killed them against UMass. They're looking to regroup after that win. And you know, I, I said, like, look, 
they, they looked good at times, but at times they looked pretty bad. Um, so certainly want to clean up some play there for Fairfield. Uh, you know, Dylan Beckwith leading that squad. Uh, Joe Sagasi leading uh, the Pioneers. On Friday, we have VMI and High Point, a game that will not be uh, streamed anywhere. Um, I, I don't believe it's VMI. They don't stream their games for whatever reason. Um, and they're playing High Point. You know, I, I would expect a High Point victory there. So that's our Tuesday. That's our midweek slate. Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday is when we have games this week. And then we get into a pretty hefty weekend slate that we will preview on Thursday. As always, thank you all for listening in. That is it for today's episode. Uh, we'll see y'all again on Thursday. In the meantime, don't forget to check out lacrossebucket.com. Follow us on social media at lacrossebucket on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. My personal at Tanner underscore Dimwing. Again, we will see y'all on Thursday previewing the weekend that is to come. And we might also have some uh, mailbag stuff as well. We've been getting some questions uh, kind of high school slash recruiting-wise regionally here in the South, uh, here in Kentucky, Tennessee. So thought I'd answer some of those on tomorrow's podcast to start, oh, excuse me, Thursday's podcast to start with. So uh, we'll do a bit of that as well. Until then... Stay safe and enjoy the lacrosse.